Praise the Lord. There's something about that name, isn't there? I'm very appreciative. My name is Glenn Goodwin from Des Moines, Iowa. Very happy to be here on this hilltop again, worshiping God in the way that we have. Thankful for, uh, well, it was just uh, 49 years ago last Friday that I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost up the road a little ways at 4th and Magnolia. Um, seemed like when I first received the Holy Ghost that people testify about, I've had the Holy Ghost 20 years, and I thought, wow, that seems like such a long time. They're so far down the road, and <laughs> here it's been 49 years, and I wish I was further down the road, um, but I always enjoy being here, and my goodness, wasn't last night a wonderful service? I just really felt the covering of the Lord, the opening words, Brother Jason, and then uh, Brother Alfred Daves said what needed to be said about worshiping the Lord, and said it in such a gracious way about how we need to be sensitive to, to what the Lord's doing and what kind of a service it is, and even what time it is in a service. I've always heard that the later it gets in the service, the shorter the talks ought to be, and cer certainly ought not go into seals and, and uh, Daniel and Revelation in a night service, so I'm going to talk about the seals. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the very sage advice for everyone who stands to speak that if you find yourself in a hole, for heaven's sake, stop digging. Um, or as we used to say back where I come from, if you don't strike oil, quit boring. So, but I thought that was a wonderful foundation about um, those, those principles need to be stated over and over again. And, and then encouraging us to worship the Lord and and I was so blessed by Brother Adam's talk last night. Um, really was beneficial. You just have to have a vision. You have to have a vision. He kept telling us. And it's not about filling your church up. but it's, uh, it's, it's not about a full congregation as much as it is about disciples of Jesus Christ or, who have a vision of what God's called this body to be. And I and, uh, was talking, I think it was Brother Rick Moore was telling me that Brother Adam's message, it was a message for the body last night. And, and a wonderful start to a meeting. I'm just praying, right, right this moment, really praying, that this continues on and, and will be a wonderful, wonderful week. And, and people will say, I was blessed, I was benefited, I was glad that I was able to be in that camp meeting in June of 2016. And, and I uh, understand it's even being live streamed over the internet so that people across the country and around the world who, who for whatever reason cannot be here, uh, that they're also able to participate in their own way in a way that wasn't available 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago, or wasn't available in the first century when the gospel was going forth, but we're taking advantage of the tools using the things of this world and not abusing them. Uh, certain tools, a tool can be very uh, constructive and it can be destructive. Depends on how you use it. You take a hammer and you can build with a hammer. You take a hammer and you can destroy with a hammer. Or we can take a tool like the internet and we can build the body of Christ with that tool. 
or you can use it in very destructive ways. But I'm thankful that we're using things in, in godly ways. And so uh, good to be here, I thought, in line with uh, particularly uh, some of the things Brother Adams was saying last night. Um, I was going to see if I could say just a little bit about rebellion. Rebellion. What a cool thing, rebellion. I think it was King Saul who was told in, was it 1 Samuel 15, that uh, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. We all know how bad witchcraft is, but uh, in 1 Samuel 15, 33, I think that says the rebellion is just as bad as witchcraft. And uh, there's a scripture in the 34th chapter of Job in the last verse when Elihu was talking about Job and he said uh, beyond all this Job has added rebellion to his sins uh, he added rebellion to his sins wow, that's, that's a bad place to get but many people have added a rebellion to their sins I think that's Job 34 37 I think um, they add rebellion to their sins that's what Judas Iscariot did. Started off being greedy. He started off stealing from, from the common treasury of Jesus' disciples, but eventually he added rebellion. Uh, that's what Hymenaeus did. That's what Diotrephes did. Uh, that's common. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I've seen it happen in churches where rebellion would break out. And uh, people would take a, half the church and split it. They would uh, take two or three families with them when they got upset and left. Uh, rebellion would break out. Sometimes an elder would feel like he ought to be the pastor. And because of that, he'd go across town and, and uh, build a competing work. And, and uh, well, some years ago, I stood here and and uh, gave step-by-step step instructions on how to backslide. Um, I called it out the door in eight easy steps. Um, I wasn't really telling you how to do it. I was hoping you wouldn't. <laughs> but today, if I can, I'd like to, uh, to go through seven steps to rebellion. Um, not that I really want you to do it. But maybe we can avoid it if we recognize the seven steps to rebellion. I'm going to use Joab and Absalom. Um, you know, when you backslide, you can backslide all by yourself. But usually when people get, go into rebellion, they affect others with them. And if you really have a vision of the body of Christ, you won't go down a road that leads to backsliding or rebellion. If you got this vision Brother Adams was talking about last night, the world doesn't attract you. Uh, when you're attracted by the world, it's because your vision is getting cloudy. When you're upset about the way things are going on and rebellion starts stirring in your heart and, and something begins to brew down on the inside, it's because your vision is becoming like a book that's sealed. But oh, that the Lord would keep our vision clear. Uh, saints of God, ministers of the gospel, elders in churches who have a clear vision. Uh, they're, they're not attracted to problems. They're not attracted to worldliness. They're not attracted to the things that would cause problems in the work. Uh, oh, Lord, keep my vision clear. 
keep my vision clear. Without a vision, the people perish. Without a message, they'll wander astray. And so, if you go into rebellion, usually you take others with you. And the first step toward rebellion is to develop a spirit of independence. The first step is to become independent. You know how it is people say, I'll decide for myself. Uh, I don't care what the pastor says. I don't care what the church teaches. I don't feel like there's anything wrong with it. You know, my, my pastor teaches that women shouldn't wear pants and that men and women shouldn't pierce their ears, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And you know, God has to run everything by me. Doesn't he? God has to clear it all with me. And I can decide for myself. Huh. See? Boy, I better be careful. If anybody starts throwing eggs or rotten tomatoes, but it's dangerous to start deciding for yourself. You know, a lot of people don't have a shepherd. They go to church, but they don't have a shepherd. They appreciate having a teacher. I want somebody to teach me a doctrine, brother, pastor. That was such a good message. Now I understand the seal so much better, but don't you tell me how to live my life. I'll decide for myself how to live my life. I'm through with preacher religion. I've heard that statement. I'm through with preacher religion. But God gave us shepherds for a reason. I was thinking of Joab. You know, you can talk about the good things that Joab did, but Joab decided for himself what was right and what was wrong. Uh, when David felt like it was good to reach out to Abner, and Abner was reaching out to, to David, and there was that connection. You all know the story in the third chapter of, of uh, 2 Samuel. But Joab decided for himself, I think I know more about this than David does. And David should not have received Abner, and I'm pretty sure that Abner didn't have good motives, and I'm going to just go completely around what Brother David said, and I'm going to deal with this myself. And he slew Abner. And then later, when David banished Absalom, Joab said, I think I know better than that. I believe it would be better if we brought Absalom back. I know David said don't do this, but I know better than David does. And I'll decide for myself whether Absalom should come back to the kingdom. After all, David's only the king. And he brought Absalom back. And you know the story. Then later when Absalom broke into full rebellion, David kept saying, don't harm the man. Don't harm the man. Joab said, I know better than David does. I don't care what Brother Pastor says. Give me three darts. Then when David said, I feel it's God's will that Solomon follow me as leader of God's people, 
Joab said, I don't think so. God didn't clear that with me. I feel like it's Adonijah. That independent spirit is a very, very dangerous spirit. Uh, David didn't have an independent spirit. Absalom did. Um, he decided for himself what he was going to do about his brother Amnon after Amnon had caused problems in the house. And a person with an independent spirit, they never really settle into the church. They never really conform. They pick and they choose for themselves what they're going to accept and what they're going to reject. And there's a scripture in the 18th chapter of Proverbs, if I can turn to the uh, Proverbs 18, I think it's verse 1. Well, <clears throat> though desire a man having separated himself, uh, that means deciding for himself, having decided I'm going to walk my own path, um, having separated himself, he seeketh and he intermeddleth with all wisdom. What David had proposed to do was very wise, with, of course, with, with Abner and with all of these other decisions. But, but Joab separated himself, and he intermeddled with all the wisdom, and he intermeddled with things that he shouldn't have gotten involved in. It's dangerous to develop an independent spirit. It's better to bend and blend. It's better to become a part of, of what God's doing and what God's blessing. And You know, even if things aren't exactly right, you're certainly better off uh, staying there and praying and letting God deal with certain situations. Uh, I, I take a lesson. I was, I'll mention this now. I was going to mention it later. But in all of these, it's better to suffer yourself to be defrauded David could have acted independently with respect to King Saul, and he said, no, I'm going to leave it in God's hands. If anybody had a right to be upset, if anybody was being mistreated, it was David. He was being hunted like a partridge in the wilderness. He was being chased down unmercifully, and he had opportunities to rise up in rebellion. He had opportunities to say, this isn't right. I don't have to put up with this. I'm not going to take this, but he didn't. He submitted and left it in God's hands, and who was the better off for that? David was. He would have never been the man he became if he would have done more than cut off the corner of Saul's skirt there. If he would have done more, if he would have done what his advisors advised him to do, he could have slain Saul. He could have taken that crown uh, by force. And you would have said he had every right to do so. We might have said that. But it's better to let things go. There have been times in my 49, 50 years, 51 years in the body of Christ. Boy, I'm starting to sound like an old-timer. haven't been in the ministry that long, but, you know, 50 years or more in the body. There's been times there were things in the church that were put in and that I thought, that's not right. I don't see anything wrong with that. But I never said, I'm just going to ignore it and go do what I want to do anyway. I was better off submitting. And over time, some of those things even changed. And I was right after all. <laughs> but a rebellious spirit would have gotten me in much more trouble 
than just saying, all right, Lord, if this isn't right, you can fix it. It's your work. It's your church, Lord. It's your body. So anyway, the first step toward rebellion is to develop an independent spirit. The second step is to be hurt and offended. To be hurt and offended. Uh, not just hurt, because everybody gets hurt. If you stay around very long, you'll be hurt somehow. Um, intentionally, unintentionally, accidentally, somehow you're going to be hurt. But when you get offended, that's the dangerous step. That's beyond just doing your own thing. Um, Jesus did say that in uh, Matthew 24, he said, Many shall be offended. Uh, and I, I thought it was interesting. I, I'm no Greek scholar at all, Brother Dave's. And most times it just makes sense to look at the English words, but but the word offended in the New Testament is usually from a Greek word called uh, scandalizo. We get scandalized out of it, but it refers to the part of a trap that you hang the bait on. <laughs> and when you get offended, you're taking the bait that's going to lead you into a trap. So I thought it was kind of good to know that Greek word, because when you get offended, that's, you've taken the bait. And, boy, that mousetrap is going to snap on you if you're not very, very careful. Uh, when you get offended, then, then you start going down the wrong way. But, uh, and, and, I, and I know that Absalom, who's my example in this message, he was highly, highly offended at what happened to his sister Tamar. And what didn't get done about it, that offense burned in him. That bothered him so badly. Uh, he was so upset. Uh, but... Uh, Others have refused to be offended when uh, Shimei kept cursing David, throwing dirt on him and cursing him. David refused to be offended as he was leaving the city and they were throwing rocks at him. And uh, was it Abishai said, Give, let me go over and take his head off. He said, I won't have to swing twice. One blow will do it, David. I can fix this for you just like that. And David said, no, maybe God's bid him to curse me. Just... I'm not going to get offended over what somebody says. If you are going to get offended over what somebody says, you're going to be offended most of the time because there's always going to be somebody saying something. There's always going to be somebody doing something. There's always going to be situations where you can say, Oh, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. That hurt me. Oh, he shouldn't have said that. shouldn't have done that. Hmm. Hmm. Come on. We need to grow up in the Lord. Amen. Don't take that step. The next step after being offended is to become passive. To start to withdraw. I'm resigning from the band. Well, you know, somebody's got a problem now. I was in, been an usher for four years, but I'm resigning from that. You start to draw back. People get quiet on you. Used to be very supportive, but they start getting very passive. Jesus said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. People's love starts to wax cold. And they aren't there. You know, you have a church work crew. I'm not going to that. They start withdrawing. You have, uh, we still have four services a week, but not everybody in our church has four services a week. 
start becoming normal not to go to that midweek service. You know, maybe the first time they missed it, their conscience bothered them a little bit, but pretty soon that becomes routine. And it becomes unusual for them to get to all those services. And there's always something to do. Nature abhors a vacuum. There's always going to be more things to do than, than going to church. And I feel, so, I've, I've said this before, pardon me, but I feel sorry for these kids growing up and they have to go ask mom and dad, are we going to church tonight? I mean, I, I've made a lot of mistakes as a parent. I, I admit, I could tell you I made a lot of mistakes. But one thing about it, my children never had to check with me on Wednesday night to see if we were going to church or not. Or Sunday night or Saturday night. If we were going to church. But people begin to become passive and they won't help. Um, in, in Judges, uh, the fifth chapter, in Judges, it says, Curse ye miras. Curse ye bitterly, Miraz, because they went not with us uh, to the work of the Lord. They didn't go to the work. Um, there's a scripture in Jeremiah 48 I wrote down. I want to uh, read it to you, the 48th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. <clears throat> and verse, uh, verse 10, Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, but also, cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from the blood. When there's work to be done, when there's battles to be fought, it's bad to be one of those that's getting passive and drawing back. And You know, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to do that. It's a bad situation. Absalom, in 2 Samuel 13, he went through this stage before he got fully rebellious. He became very passive. Let me read a scripture to you in 2 Samuel, the 13th chapter, in verse uh, 22. 2 Samuel 13 and verse 22 um, says, And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon neither good nor bad. He just got totally silent. You worry as a shepherd when one of those sheep stops bleeding, when they start going really silent. Starts drawing back from the rest of the flock. As a shepherd, you know there's a problem here. They're getting very, very quiet. They, I call it an unnatural nonchalance. I don't care, you know, whatever, whatever they want to do. You're in trouble when they start talking about the church and they say they. Whatever they want to do. They can have their work crew. They can do this. Anytime one of the saints starts referring to the church as they instead of we, then they're drawing back. And my soul has no pleasure in those that draw back. It's a dangerous step to take. Dear children of God, if you're starting to feel that way, if you're even an elder in the church and you're starting to feel that way about the pastor, well, he can do what he wants to do. He's the pastor. Let him do what he wants to do. Instead of getting with the program, saying, I don't necessarily agree with things, but we're going to stand together on it. When I first became pastor, and I became a pastor overnight, and it's a scary thing, uh, trying to take over a work that's already been established and, and uh, working with elders. And one of the first times our elders got together, we had a discussion. And we pledged to one another that in an elders meeting we could discuss anything, we could say anything, we could agree, we could disagree, we were free to speak out 
But when we left that room and faced the congregation, we all agreed and supported the ultimate decision that was made. And no one, our wives, our children, no one was ever going to know that there was any disagreement whatsoever behind closed doors. Because our church was in a shaky position and could not afford the luxury of having that kind of, of a shaking going on with everything else that was happening. And so don't uh, go into that unnatural nonchalance and be careful when you find somebody there. They may take the next step, which is the fourth step, and that is to become critical. They move from being silent to uh, be, everything they say is a criticism, hypercritical. Uh, even Miriam, uh, Moses' own sister, got to the point where she was criticizing her brother Moses over some decision he made and who he married and this and that. And it'll get you in trouble. It leads to rebellion when you start criticizing others. Uh, when, uh, poor, when a woman saved up for years and got some very expensive ointment, spikenard, and put it in an alabaster uh, box or jar, and broke that and anointed Jesus because she had a, uh, an understanding that, that he was going to be uh, buried and dead and needed to anoint his body. And uh, even the 12 disciples didn't really realize Jesus was going to die. But this woman, uh, Mary, had an understanding and she took uh, that that was worth 300 penny worth, uh, 300 days wages. You work 260 days in a year. 300 days wages is more than a year's worth of income. She took that and she broke the bottle that it was in. That was a custom back in the first century that if an honorable person ever visited you and you used a glass, if a prince or a noble drank out of a glass, you would break it afterwards so nobody any less honorable could ever use it. And she broke that alabaster because nobody any less honorable than Jesus Christ was ever going to get any benefit out of that uh, jar. And breaking it means you could pour all of it out too. We make types out of it and that's wonderful. I don't have a problem with that. But I'm telling you that this woman uh, uh, was criticized severely for what she did. Why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? Uh, why does the pastor have to drive that kind of a car? Uh, why is he traveling all over the country like this? Why didn't we spend that money on the soup kitchen? Why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? Uh, they're, you know. Absalom got that way. See, that your matters are right and good, he said. In the 13th chapter of Second uh, Samuel, but David up there, he's not deputized anybody to listen to you. There's nobody who's authorized to handle this. Somebody should have been authorized to handle this. Absalom was was fault finding. He was saying David ought to done more than what he did. David ought to done something different than what he did. Um, it's not the kind of message I hear a lot of amens for. You never know if I get in a hole. But people start criticizing 
And from criticizing, it's easy to take the next step, the fifth step, which is to become political. When you become political, you're seeking allies and gathering support. You want others to say, yes, that's right, you're right, you poor thing, you've not been treated right, that's right. Now, I'm sure you haven't noticed this this year, but <clears throat> politicians say whatever they have to say to gain supporters. They say whatever they have to say to get your support. Or whatever they think you want to hear in order to get your support. Um, it's said of Absalom... Uh, that he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Isn't that uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 4, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man that had suit or cause might come to me. Sounds like a campaign speech. Or if I were elected president. I'd do him justice, the end of verse 4 says. And so it was that when any man came nigh unto him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand, took him and kissed him. That happens in churches sometimes. Uh, people who never ever spoke before, now they're going out to eat together. Somebody's got a burr in their craw, whatever that means. They got a cockle burr under their saddle, whatever it is. They start finding out who who feels like they've not been treated right. Hey, would you like to go to dinner? Yeah. <laughs> you haven't been treated right? I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> this is how churches get split. Verse 6, And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Well, I don't think Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton is going to steal your heart too badly. But be careful. Because there's other politicians that might be closer to home. Once they start gathering support, it's hard to stop rebellion at that point. It's very hard to stop it. They move quickly to the sixth step, number six, and that's deception. Deception. The rebels deceive themselves and they deceive others. Um, Absalom was deceived by his apparent success. It seemed like things were favorable to him. People were flocking to his standard. Um, I, I've known people who, who caused problems in church, and they felt convinced that it was God. God's with me. This is what the Lord wants. And Absalom, I'm not sure he was terribly irreligious. He may have even felt like he was doing God's will. 
And we can read the rest of the story, and it's pretty easy for us to say, Absalom, you missed God a million miles. But if you're living at that time, there were men in Israel that weren't sure. Because some innocents even got caught up. Verse 11. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. They didn't realize that they were getting caught up in an enterprise that was going to fail. They didn't realize what they were getting caught up in. I've seen rebellion in church houses and innocent people get caught up in it. They're not really wicked in and of themselves. They just get caught up in this. And some get lost in it. And some wander out for years and maybe never get back. They weren't all that evil in their thoughts, but they got caught up. They didn't know what to do. They weren't sure who was right. And people get deceived. Be careful you don't get deceived. We've got to have a clear vision, dear saints of God. I'm not going to be shaken. I'm not going to go down the wrong path. I'm going to pray, Lord, help me to know the right and to do the right. <sighs> but rebels always think they're right. And they usually believe God is with them. And from this, once they're deceived... Then the last step is open rebellion. Open rebellion. What was occurring behind the scenes and in living rooms and restaurants eventually became, comes open and a fire breaks out in the standing corn. Uh, we're told in the law that you're not to allow fire to break out in the standing corn. You can consume the whole field. You have to make restitution if that happens. An open rebellion. And where once people stood together, now they're separated. And um, where once people came to church and worshiped God and got excited, now they're sitting at home not knowing what to do or, or confused and Maybe gone to Babylon or maybe gone to the world. Rebellion is very dangerous. So what do you do? What do you do? First of all, if you're encountering somebody who's going down these seven steps toward open rebellion, I think you ought to be real careful who you associate with, who you spend time with. Uh, let me turn to the 22nd chapter of Proverbs. Uh, you have to... Um, be careful who you get really close to. Make no close friendship. Uh, in Proverbs 22 and verse 24, make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Why? Verse 25, lest thou learn his ways, and you scandalize, you take the bait, it's on the trap, lest you learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. Be careful who you associate with. You want to be close to the people that are the most on fire for God. You want to be uh, close as you can with people who truly have a vision. Uh, even if your vision isn't real clear, make sure you get close to somebody who does have a clear vision. Uh, I had a young girl come into our assembly one time and and there were things she, she just didn't understand. 
why we taught certain holiness things. And she, but she said, I'm going to get close to the people who do believe it, and maybe the Lord will help me. And then she started praying, Lord, will you show me? said, I don't see why. I don't understand why we have to dress this way. But instead of saying, I don't understand why, she said, Lord, I don't understand why. And she asked him. And one day she got up and testified and said, the Lord made it clear to me. And I see now why. I understand why. I mean, I could have, you know, as a pastor said, you will, you will, you will. And she never would have understood why. But when the Lord showed it to her, she had it. She had it. So be careful. Somebody starts grumbling, complaining, somebody seeking allies. Whoa, wait a minute. I don't want to get too close to that person. But you know, sometimes you can't avoid them. Sometimes they're friends and relatives. Sometimes they just won't leave you alone. Do you know what you have to do then? In that case... Back up a chapter to the 23rd chapter. That's when you've got to become the north wind. You have got to become the north wind. Proverbs 23 uh, and, um, oh, isn't it? Where is it? I've lost it. Where it says, the north wind driveth away the rain. Find me that scripture, please. The north wind driveth away the rain. Uh, 25 in verse 23. I, was, I had the 23 right. I just thought it was chapter 23. Um, the north wind driveth away rain. So doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. Sometimes people can just look at you and stop you in your tracks. You know, something happens and you look at the person next to you and say, I don't think that's right. And they give you one of those looks. And you just, Oh, wait a minute. I shouldn't have said that. Sometimes people headed down the seven steps toward rebellion need to find the north wind. That's a cold wind, by the way. Those of you who live down south may not understand this, but that's a cold wind. And sometimes people need to feel a cold wind from you. Not that you can treat them bad, not that you can, uh, you know, cuss them out or anything like that. But sometimes you need to give them the look. When I grew up, my dad had the look. He could give me the look. Sometimes from across the room. And I knew I had better change the way I was acting really quick. And sometimes the best thing you can do for your brother or sister in the Lord is to give them the look. It may not change them, but they're going to leave you alone. <laughs> and it might change them. 
It might. Sometimes people can recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who has taken them captive at his will. They may have grabbed the bait, started down this road. What if it's the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror? And you recognize, wait a minute, I started down this path. Well, whatever step you are, that's the time to change paths right then. Right. Wait a minute, I've got to quit grumbling like this. I've got to quit this. I can't, um, you know, I can't say these things. Maybe because somebody was the north wind. You know, words of rebellion are not easily spoken when they're not easily heard. They're not easily spoken when they're not easily heard. And when I go up to Brother Green and start talking to him, and I get a stone wall, you know, I just really don't think Brother Dave should have done this. I really, you know. And he gives me the look. I'll leave him alone anyway. <laughs> Find somebody else. Yeah. But maybe I'll recognize, well, wait a minute. I shouldn't have acted. I shouldn't have said that. That's not right. Brother Green, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Sometimes you just got to get off the road you're on. If you're, you know, if you're in a car doing 90 miles an hour heading toward a cliff, you might need to change roads. Um, it may not be enough just to slow down. It's, you know, I'm going to go over that cliff at 30 miles an hour. It's not enough to change just to change your speed. Sometimes you've got to change your direction. There's a brick wall ahead. I'm going to slow down from 60 to 45. What good does it do to hit the brick wall at 45? You sometimes have to change direction. And even if you have legitimate grievances, like I said, David had legitimate grievances against King Saul. I don't think anyone could say that his grievances weren't legitimate. But he decided to let God take care of it. And God can deal with it so much better than you can. God can deal with it in ways that are so much superior to our ways. So many times we start to deal with things and I feel like God in heaven says, Okay, boy, go ahead. If you're going to put your hand on it, then God says, I'm going to take my hands off. If you want God to put his hands on certain circumstances, maybe you need to let your hands be lifted off of them. I, I believe that this is the body of Christ. That means I believe Jesus Christ is the head of this body. And if Jesus Christ is the head of this body, then he can take care of whatever's wrong in this body or in any local expression of the body of Christ in a local church. If there's something that that's, that's, that's not right, I'm not talking about open sin, don't get me wrong. Uh, there's a ditch on the, both sides of the road. I can be taken to extremes. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that in many cases, in most times, you can just let the Lord deal with the situation and it's really not up to you to get involved in dealing with that condition. Uh, if it's not yours to take care of, if God didn't give you the authority to handle it, then keep your hands off of it. Uh, it's my, I think that's wise. <laughs> to me, that just seems like that's wisdom. If God didn't put me in a position to be able to deal with the situation, then I'm going to have to let God take care of it some other way. 
but I certainly don't want to wander down a road that leads to destruction and rebellion, and I would feel awful if I took other people down a road to destruction. Uh, it's bad enough to backslide and ruin your own life, but when you start breaking out rebellion and you cut others up in it and get innocent people and they get messed up, and maybe you can straighten out later and they don't ever get straightened out. Uh, maybe you turn around and come back and repent, but others never do. Uh, how would you feel about that? How are you going to explain that to them in, in, in the resurrection? How are you going to explain that to the Lord and say, well, I recovered myself. I did pretty good. It came to me. I realized I was wrong. But what about all these other people? See, John Donne was an English poet several hundred years ago, and he said, no man is an island entire of itself every man is a piece of the whole he said even if just one clot of dirt is washed to the sea Europe loses something uh, we're all connected one to another because we're in a body uh, but we're compacted by that which every joint supplieth uh, you don't live to yourself you don't die to yourself we're all connected one way or another and what I do affects you. What you do affects me. We bear one another's burdens. When one member rejoices, we can all rejoice. I'm rejoicing over Sister Jody Sumner. Uh, didn't touch me personally, it did touch me personally. I'm rejoicing over this. When one member suffers, Brother Roger Bruce, uh, I'm suffering over what God's, what he's going through in this circumstance, and I'm praying that God will deal with him. But if somebody breaks into rebellion, when somebody walks off and causes trouble, that affects, his, that affects every one of us. We're in this together. We're in this together. God brought us together. We've been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What a powerful word, together. Together. And so I'll stop. I don't want to take any more time. But just make sure your vision's clear. Make sure you don't start down a road. It's going to take you where you don't want to go. Uh, whatever the devil is, the devil's always going to take you farther than you want to go. And it's always going to wind up worse than you think it's going to be. He promises the best and he pays with the worst. Promises life and pays with death. Promises joy and pays with bitterness. Promises satisfaction and pays with disappointment. Promises pleasure and pays with pain. Be careful where you're going. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize. Make sure your eye is single. Fix your eyes on things above not on the things of this earth and let the Lord lead us down the path that he wants us to go it's a path that leads to life everlasting uh, may God bless you all Amen.